One of the things I want you to remember is that your life has value. So you need to value your life. The plans that I laid out that I thought were God's plans for my life aren't going the way that I think they should go. And I begin to doubt who I am. I begin to doubt my self-worth. I begin to doubt my value. God puts you where He wants you to be. The trick is to figure out where God puts you and start living that life. That's God's plan. According to the World Health Organization, over 300 million people around the world have depression. In the United States alone, over 10.3 million adults experienced an episode that resulted in severe impairment last year alone. Many times, fear and anxiety can be brought on by forgetting who we are in Christ. In today's message, Herman Mason, son of senior pastor Eddie Mason, asks the question, what is your life worth? So as we go to the scriptures here, we're going to look at Psalms 139. We're going to look at verses 13 through 16. And David writes, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordered, ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. One of the things I want you to remember is that your life has value. So you need to value your life. Your life has value, so you need to value your life. You need to remember a few things, three key things here. Man was created according to God's design. See, we keep trying to figure out what our self-worth is based on our own understanding and forgetting what we were made for, who we were made by. God designed us. Man was created under God's inspection. He didn't just toss something up against the wall and hope something was made that was good. It was under his inspection. And man was created by God's power. You know, over the years, I've created a few things. Some things I don't want to tell you about because they didn't turn out very well. Uh, my buddies in the education system will tell you that we created curriculum every year, it seems like. That's not always because it wasn't good. That's because the people in the higher-ups just kept changing their mind on what they wanted us to do. But it's never lived up. It's never stood the test of time. But God has. And so to think that we were formed by his power, we begin to get that understanding. How do you not understand what your life is worth? Because we buy in to the lies of the enemy. We begin to listen to what man says instead of what God says. So again, your life has value. God said so. What you've got to do is you've got to begin to value your life. Let me tell you how I know God designed us. And as I was telling uh, my buddy Dr. Collins here, and, and, and uh, I just I said, look, I understand if people can believe in a different God. I don't, I don't agree with it. But the group that doesn't make sense to me is the one that says, I don't believe in any God. That, that two planets smashed together or two substances smashed together and formed everything that we see before us. Have you ever thought about how intricately the body is put together? The human heart is a, it's a wonder itself, and that alone, to me, proves our intelligent designer. The heart is just a fist-sized organ, and while some of our fists are big, bigger than others, that right there controls all of this. 
This fist-sized organ expands and contracts over 100,000 times per day. It pumps five to six quarts of blood each minute. Here are two gallons of water. If I were to replace this with blood, it would run a thousand times this through your body each day. Each day. If I gave every person in here, if we got about a hundred of you in here, one gallon of blood, right? It would take, you would have to hold 20, each of you would have to hold 20 of these before we'd have 2,000 gallons. If you were to look at it in terms of a tank that holds 2,000 gallons, this is what it looks like. That's, that, now, as Josh correctly corrected me, your body doesn't contain 2,000 gallons of blood. This is how much is pumped through the heart each day. But it cycles through, that much blood cycles through in a given day. By the age of 70... By the age of 70, your heart will have beat more than 2.5 billion times. And if you were to take all of the veins, the arteries, the capillaries, which is the system our blood moves through, and you were to stretch those out, they would stretch over 60,000 miles long and could wrap around the world two times. Now, I know what you're thinking. You believe that's possible in a body like mine. But if you have somebody like Brian, who's so skinny, stand up, Brian. Stand up, Brian. He's got the same length of veins in him that I do in me. Now, Josh will tell you that the kids have a little bit, uh, like it has to grow over the years is what I read. But still, at some point, it's 60,000 miles worth in your body. There's an intelligent design. I was talking to Mark and his oldest son, Caleb. Where are you at, Caleb? And we were talking about how, you know, unfortunately, he broke his leg and the body's so amazing that it's doing what? Healing itself. The doctor might set it to put it right back in the, in the right place, but the doctor didn't actually heal the bone. God set us up so well that we breathe in oxygen and then breathe out the stuff we don't need. We take in food and the nutrients and the minerals our body needs, it takes, and then it gets rid of the rest. It's that smart, it's that intricate. So let me say it again. Your life has value. So value your life. You know, the other thing that I think is that we just don't understand that God has made us alive. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Go back there to verse 5. It says, and when, when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive. I think a lot of times when we start to enter depression, we forget that we're alive. Okay? Sometimes it's like we're already in the grave. And I began to look for the statistics on what dead people have done. Have you ever done that? This stuff's curious. It's fascinating to me. You know, I Google everything, and then I kind of piece it together from there. And this is what I came up with. This is what the, the list of what dead people have done. It was pretty easy. I searched for at least two minutes. But, you know, God's not just talking about an actual physical 
being alive. Although I believe that as we realize our value and our worth and we, we realize we are alive in Christ, that is seen through our outward actions. Now, what he's talking about is the next slide where it's talking about being alive in Christ. You have been made alive, so stop living like you're dead. You see, in this world, unfortunately, there are dead people that walk amongst us. And everybody in here who watches The Walking Dead says, I, I believe that. <laughs> I do not watch The Walking Dead for very good reasons. It scares me. I made it through three minutes of the first episode. It depends on whenever that first zombie-like creature entered. That's however far that is. That's how far I made it into the first episode, and we're out. You know, if, if the dead of this world would present themselves like that, it'd be very easy for me to see who I should avoid hanging out with. Be very easy. But they don't. However, the God left us clues. Let's look at 2 Timothy here. Long list. Long list here. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self. Don't raise your hands, but have you seen anybody that's been a lover of self recently? Yeah. Lovers of money. I didn't catch on to the Survivor fad until recently, and now it's available on Amazon or Netflix or something. So I'm going back and watching this, and it's amazing what people will do because the prize is a million dollars, and they all lie, cheat, and steal, and they, they say, well, it's just a game. And they're right, but the reality is, and you can see it in the people's faces, that over the course of that show, they affect each other whether they meant to or not. And at the end, they give what they call the jury a chance to come back and ask questions. And in some times, some cases, they don't just ask questions. They just lamb blast the final three because they've been so hurt. And yet they go out about it as if this is just a game. It's under the guise of a game. What we don't realize is that our actions have consequences. But what I really want to talk to you about is that we end up living like that, even as Christians sometimes. It says we've been lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant. Tammy says it's revelers. I said revilers. I'm not sure which one. The language arts teacher says revilers. Disobedient to parents. None of you youth do that, do you? You're never disobedient to your parents, are you? Ungrateful. I know you're not ungrateful. Unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips. Ooh, that's a big one. Malicious gossips. I see that affecting especially our youth more than anything else is that gossip. It's just wanting to tell somebody. Without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's a long list. How many of you think that you'd be able to spot those kind of people? Raise your hand. I think I would too, absolutely. I mean, it says malicious gossips, brutal, haters of good, treacherous. I mean, that seems like extremes to me. They should stick out like a sore thumb, and then you read verse 5. And verse 5 says, it says, holding to a form of godliness. Let me just stop there for a minute. Think about that for a minute. They give off a form of godliness. That's what everybody talks about when, when they say that there are people in the church that go all the time but aren't saved. That's the same idea. They're putting on the appearance of good while their heart is full of evil. The worst part is the devil has confused some of us so much that we don't even realize that we have jumped on board with some of these dead people and their actions. Because we don't realize what our life is worth. We don't realize that we've been made alive. You've been made alive, so don't live like the dead. It says, hold into a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid 
such men as these. That's the other part I want to tell you. Sometimes we enter a state of depression because we're not hanging out with the right people. And I was told growing up that Jesus hung out with the worst of people. And the problem with that is that Jesus didn't hang out with the worst of people. He ministered to the least of these. He didn't spend time hanging out playing video games and shooting the breeze. And he ministered. He, he preached the gospel. He poured himself into them. There is a major difference between hanging out with somebody and ministering to somebody. And as youth especially, we need to understand that who we hang out with does make a difference. The things that we are watching, the things that we are playing, the things that we are doing do get into our bodies, whether you want to believe that or not. Take a self-inventory one time. Playing some of the video games that I know you play, and I played them growing up, and my kids play them now. And as they were growing up, they'd play certain games, even a wrestling game. Let's take a wrestling game. And I'd notice they'd start to get a little bit more uh, ferocious with each other. They'd go to fighting with each other a little bit more. The brothers would. They'd become a little bit rougher with each other. And we'd have to take a timeout from the video games, and they'd calm back down again. So whether you believe it or not, it has an effect on you. Well, the problem is... The gossip and everything else that we're talking about has an effect on us. I don't care if you're a teenager. I don't care if you're talking about going through midlife crisis. I don't care if you're identified as elderly or senior citizen. What happens is the devil and everybody around you starts getting in your ear. And the things you begin to listen to begin to take root. One time you might be able to get past it. Two times, but then you start to get a barrage. And everybody's talking to you about how you're getting older. Or how you're in the middle of your life and you deserve more. Or you're a teenager and nobody should, have to, nobody should be able to tell you what to do. And you hear that enough times, and you begin to believe that. You begin to buy into that. And then what happens is when the floor gets pulled out from underneath you, that's when that depression sets in. And one of the responses that's given is, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I read somewhere that fine can stand for feeling I'm nothing to everyone. Think about that for a minute. Feeling I'm nothing to everyone. Don't raise your hands, but have you ever felt like that? I'm going to go on and tell you that I know I have. I know that I've been lied to. Things aren't quite going the way that I thought they should go. The plans that I laid out that I thought were God's plans for my life aren't going the way that I think they should go. And I begin to doubt who I am. I begin to doubt my self-worth. I begin to doubt my value to Christ. God told us from the get-go that he had a plan for us. Amen. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan for us. So if God has a plan for us, what do you think we ought to do? We should plan our life with God. And what I see happening is we go through phases. And so we get convinced of this and we do commit time. We're going through a 21-day fast and prayer time, and I guarantee you there are a lot of you that have committed time to God. And you are experiencing the favor of God and some great things. But guess what's going to come just around the corner? When we get done with the Daniel fast, maybe not a week later, maybe not two weeks later, but let's go six months later. Let's go a year later. If we don't walk our plan out with God first, 
Let me say it a different way. If we don't make our plan his plan, then we're doomed to fight things like depression and anxiety and lose our sense of worth because we forget who we get our sense of self-worth from. We get it from Jesus Christ. So if God has a plan for your life, you should plan your life with God. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Square one, besides salvation, is this is your mandate. It does not get any more complicated than that. That is the master plan. That's the master plan. It's that simple. We are to take what God has taught us and go out and deliver that to the rest of the world. But what happens is we lose our sense of value along the way and we don't feel like we are able to deliver that message. Even some of our heroes in the Bible had that issue. Look at Moses, who did some of the greatest things. God used him to do some mighty things, and yet the first time he was asked to go speak to Pharaoh, he asked God and begged God to let somebody else go. And in the end, God did allow Aaron to go with Moses. So even some of the greatest heroes in the Bible, Peter said, I'll never deny you, Lord. That's just ludicrous talk. I've been with you, I've been hanging out with you, I've seen what you've done. There's no way I'm going to deny you. And yet, when faced with that pressure and that fear, he abandoned God just like God said he would. Now, the great news is the second he realized it, he immediately repented and got back on board. And God does the same thing with us. It's not a one-time thing. See, the problem is some of us have forgotten who we are in Christ. So we lose our way. What do I mean by that? Well, if you go and you read 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm not going to read the entire chapter to you. I'm just going to read one particular verse for you. But the entire chapter lays out who we are. We are one body. We're one body. Some of us are ears. Some of us are eyes. Some of us are, are toes. and Some of us are feet. And the eyes can't do what the ears can do. And the ears can't do what the eyes can do. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, it says, But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. The problem is we're all looking to be the top dog. The problem is God doesn't see the top dog the same way as man sees the top dog. See, in America, the most valued seat in our political universe is president of the United States. But that's how man sees it. That's not how God sees it. And guess what? We can't all be president. More importantly, we shouldn't all be president. Some of us are trying to be eyes when God called us to be ears. Some of us are trying to be ears when God called us to be eyes. But that's because we've forgotten our value. We've forgotten our place. We're forgetting the most important thing. God has a plan for us, so we've got to plan our life with God and remember that he placed us where he wanted because he knew our value. And to get the maximum value, he put us where he desired. You know, 
Danny talked about Clemson winning the championship, and everybody on that team will tell you that it's not a me thing, it's a we thing. There are standouts and there are superstars based on the TV viewing audience. There are certain names we can call out. Trevor Lawrence was the quarterback. I can tell you that right now. He did a phenomenal job. I can't name one single offensive lineman on Clemson's team, but I guarantee you without each one of them, they do not become champions. So which one's more important? The quarterback? The offensive lineman? The defensive lineman? The place kicker? You got the best field goal kicker in the, in the world, but you don't have somebody that can hold that snap and set it just right. You don't have somebody that can snap that ball just right. What does it matter? See, each position is just as valuable as the next, but as men, we put some positions higher than others. God doesn't. God puts you where he wants you to be. The trick is to figure out where God puts you and start living that life. That's God's plan, and that's living his master plan. I was reading a story about an American tourist who went to Paris, and in one of the little trinket shops found a necklace. And it was beautiful and worth a good bit of money, he thought at least more than he paid for it. Maybe he'd seen Antique Roadshow and thought he had a special find there. So he gave a few bucks for the necklace, and then he went and got it appraised. And when he took it to the jeweler to get appraised, the jeweler immediately told him, I'll give you $25,000 for it right now. And the guy looked at him and thought, man, I thought it was valuable, but I didn't think it was that valuable. That's pretty awesome. But I don't really trust this guy. Let me go check with somebody else. So he takes it to another appraiser, and that appraiser looks at it, and he says, I'll give you... $35,000 for it right now. And the guy just looks more curious and more curious. And he says, I don't understand what you're seeing. What do you see that I'm not seeing? And the appraiser says, look closer in the glass inside of the necklace. And inside of the necklace was an inscription that said, from Napoleon Bonaparte to Josephine. And the appraiser said, the value of the necklace comes from the identity of it with a famous person. Without that inscription, that necklace is not nearly as valuable as with that inscription. And I think some of you know where I'm headed with this. Our value also comes from what's inscribed on our hearts. And the great thing is, it's not just one necklace, it's each one of us. Each one of us. And with God, our value goes from valuable to priceless, from valuable to priceless. The depression statistics, the anxiety disorders of this world are rooted in identity and not knowing who we are, not knowing what we have accomplished in this life. I, I listened to Rush Limbaugh quite a bit, and he said something interesting the other day um, that he, you know, it was his birthday, and he was grateful. Everybody was wishing him happy birthday, and he said, you know, I've accomplished so much in my life, but success wasn't what I thought it would be. And he said, don't misunderstand me. I mean, I've enjoyed it, but it wasn't what I thought it would be. You see, we get to looking at what the world has. And even at a young age, we start chasing what the world says is important and valuable. And what's amazing to me is look at something as simple as fashion. And all the kids want to wear the latest fashion. And what happens to the fashion each year? It changes. How are you ever going to keep up with that? 
But with God, what he's looking for stays the same year after year after year after year. If you don't think you have value, you don't know who you are. You don't realize there's an inscription inside of you, inside of your necklace. You have not realized that you are priceless to God. So priceless, it talks about leaving the 99 to go chase the one. That's how valuable you are to him. You are not something he created that he can do without. How do I know that? Because he came and died for each one of us. We were so valuable to him that even though Adam messed up and through his actions caused us all to be born in sin, God said, I'm going to send another way. Why? Because you are that valuable to me. And the great thing is, it doesn't matter if you're just being born into this world or you're 90, going on 91, and still have 40 years left, 30, 20, how many you want left? If you, about 40 be all right. If you come to me and tell me that my grandfather has no more value to add, first of all, I know this, this uh, group of people and you wouldn't tell me that, but you're crazy. So if we all believe that, you should believe that too, right? It doesn't matter what age we are. God has value for us. He has purpose for us. And we are all just as important to him, regardless of what role we serve and regardless of what man says is most important. See, the trick is to quit worrying about how man sees you and start looking at how God sees you. And then when you start looking at how God sees you, you start to begin to realize your value. So what is your self-worth? You should say it's priceless according to God priceless according to God. Amen. Let me just recap for you. What is your value in life? What is your life worth? It's worth everything. It's worth so much that God took the form of man and died on a cross and took our sins. Even when he didn't deserve it and even when we didn't deserve it, he still did it because he loves us that much. He didn't just do that to love one or two or three or four of you. He did that to love all of us to show all of us. So if that's the case, why are you buying into the lies of the enemy that you are not worthy? Amen? Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. Please join us every Sunday morning. For service times, locations, and other information about the church, visit us at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless and keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you 